movie, the action movie of 2 Samuel doesn't stop today. It continues to be an action movie. Um, one help that I have, just full disclosure, in writing my sermons is Caleb's Action Bible. <laughs> it's fun to look and see, you know, how the Action Bible made for middle schoolers is going to talk about this scene or going to talk about this scene or this event. There's another book that I read this week that I had read before, but I reviewed just for this. That's called The Tale of Three Kings. And it is a book. Subversive, subversively, it's a book about Christian leadership, but it is a book about Saul and David and Absalom. And it's asking the question, what kind of king are you going to be? What kind of leader are you going to be? Are you going to be a king or a leader in the order of Saul, who sometimes was afraid and would hide? Remember when Saul got ordained, he was hiding with all the luggage? Are you going to be like King David, who is a man after God's own heart that messed up sometimes, but really desired God and left a lot of room to do God's will? Or are you going to be a king like Absalom, who was really a lot more like Saul than like David, and he exerted his own will and he did his own demands? Sometimes he even figured out what God wanted and did the opposite, just out of rage. Sorry, that was a spoiler alert. We haven't gotten there yet. <laughs> but, uh, but what I really like, the, the author's name is Gene Edwards, and I, I recommend any, any of his Christian books because he tells the story kind of like a story, kind of like a novel or like a TV show or a movie, and you can really grasp the reality of some of this stuff. So I was talking to some buddies this week, and I said... I think the most important, like all of 2 Samuel was given to us as a gift because of David's sin with Bathsheba. And we started just talking about how all of the events, like David and Bathsheba just triggered one terrible thing after another terrible thing, this whole big long downfall. Solomon probably wouldn't have become king, right? Because his mom was Bathsheba. So God took this horrible, horrible event and made all kinds of good out of it. And from there, it's like, gosh, that was such, a, such an awful thing. Not, not saying what Paul was accused of, of, if God's so great with turning bad things into good things, then let's sin so that he can, we can give him more material to make out of good. But it gives us a whole lot of hope that, gosh, all kinds of wretched, horrible things that people do, God is powerful enough and kind enough and merciful enough to turn them into really awesome things. Like Solomon. Like Solomon's descendant, right? David's descendant, Jesus. So God specializes in turning awful, awful, horrible things into good things. So that's the constellation. Now let's talk about all the horrible things that are going to happen. <laughs> so David, uh, nope, Absalom, he killed Amnon. He fled 
report came back. David, all, Absalom killed all your sons. He's like, ah, he grieves. Then they're like, not really, only Amnon. And then he's like, oh, well, okay, that's fine. I mean, I got like 10 wives and 11 bazillion kids. What's Amnon? Not really. He did grieve, but um, so there it is. So then Absalom flees and all the rest come back and they come and Absalom fled to, where are we here? Uh, The end of 13. Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amahud, king of Geshur. That's his grandpa. That's his grandpa on his mom's side. Okay? So, if you you think it's true now, kids can always retreat to their grandparents' house. This is biblical back to uh, about 1000 BC. (laughs) You can find refuge at grandma's. He's there. Chapter 14. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, knew that the king's heart went out to Absalom. Joab is still around. Remember how Joab and David don't always get along? They don't always agree. But Joab is around David enough to know he really misses his son. He basically lost two sons that day, right? He lost Amnon and he lost Absalom because Absalom fled. Amnon got killed by Absalom. So Joab works up this scheme, and we're not going to go through this verse by verse because it, it gets. I want to. I want to cover it quick. So Joab works up this scheme, and he gets this lady from way out of town that nobody's going to recognize, and he gives her this story to go and tell King David. And so she comes to King David, and she dresses up like a widow, and she's got dirt on her head, and she's grieving. Oh. And so, you know, just at sight of her, David is going to be moved to, oh, I need to have compassion. This is, this is a moment for pity. She says, oh, this terrible thing happened. My son accidentally killed my other son. And now he's dead. But now the avenger of the blood is after my son that lived. And the avenger of the blood was a law set up in Leviticus, you guys. That if anybody killed somebody, then they would get killed by the next in line. The the next of kin, it was the next of kin's duty to dish out the death sentence. But if the guilty person that did the killing could make it to a refuge city, as long as they were in a refuge city, they would be safe and they wouldn't be killed. And that would be refuge cities were some of the Levite cities where they had. So they'd be around the Levites. So it's basically like you're grounded. You go to Sunday school for the rest of your life. So they live in the city of Levites. They're safe. They can continue their lives. But if they ever leave. The Avenger, the next of kin, the Avenger of blood can camp out right outside the city and wait and then just kill you as soon as you leave the city. Just like that. And so this widow comes. She's like, oh, my son killed the other son. The next of kin is going to kill him. But if they kill him, I will have no lineage. It'll be the end of my line in Israel. I'll have no descendants. It'll be the end of the line for my family name. Please have mercy. Please give an order that this man should not be killed. 
You guys, we've seen this before, right? Somebody comes in, tells David a story. David hears the story and he's so moved. And he says, oh, this is terrible. That person should pay four times over and he should be killed, right? There's Nathan and David and Bathsheba, that whole thing. He's moved. Oh, this is terrible. What a horrible thing has happened to you. You should not lose both of your sons. Whoever comes after him, send them to me and I'll deal with it. Oh, oh dear. Mm-hmm. He steps right into the trap. It's funny how much David was like running in the wilderness and fleeing from Saul. He never stepped into these traps, right? Now that he's king and these prophets come, and these people come with these great stories, Every time. Skip down to verse 18. The king answered the woman, don't hide from me anything that I ask of you. She says, let the king speak. He said, is the hand of Joab with you in all of this? King David knows. He knows he has been tricked. He knows that Joab did this. What's really funny is Joab is a bloodthirsty killer and he's probably standing there. So now this woman has a choice to make of she can either lie to the king and rely on Joab, you know, for fear of Joab killing her, or she can be honest with the king. And now we don't know what's going to happen. Is the king going to kill her? Because, you know, the king is all about get that young man and kill this guy. Right. But now Joab's going to be mad at her, too, because jo- she ratted out Joab. She says, as surely as you live, nobody can turn from the right hand to the left without anything. My Lord, the king is, she says, all this flattery, all this goodness. Wow, you are really smart and you are really wise. Yes. And the king does not kill anybody. He turns to Joab and he says, I'll grant your wish. He doesn't say good job. He doesn't say you slimy little. He doesn't. He's like, I get it. I, I need to be reconciled with my son. Joab fell on his face to the ground, paid homage to the king and blessed the king. He said, today your servant knows that I have found favor in your sight. My Lord, the king. He's saying, I know that you trust me now. I know this is totally an event where you have room to kill me because I've done this trickery thing. And I know that you trust me. And so they do it. But there's some little stipulation on it. The king said, let him dwell apart in his own house. He is not to come into my presence. I don't even want to see him. And so they go and they get Absalom and he comes back and he lives in his own house, which is probably close to the king's house, right? But... He's never in the king's presence and the king never wants to look at him, never wants to see him. He's like, you're right. He should be here with me. I'm the king. He's my son. He should be a part of all this, but I can't look at him. He's still hurt. After two years, he's still hurt that he killed Amnon over this whole thing. When you read the Bible, you cannot put modern day culture on the Bible. Because it wasn't written in modern day culture. It's been translated into modern day words so we can understand it. But by no means would, would we look down on things that they did and say, 
you know, David was a bad dad because he didn't spend any time with his kids. We would say that now because culturally um, we see the value in dads spending time with their kids. In this day and age, there's a lot of detachment. There's a lot of detachment from generations and families. And you can kind of see what kind of trouble that cost, which is pretty, pretty wild to see. So now we have this aside about Absalom, and it's important. So remember when you're reading the Bible and you see something, you're like, what in the world is that there for? It's fun to make a note and think maybe this is going to come up later, which it is. In all of Israel, there is no one as much to be praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish on him. You guys, he did not even have a zit on his thigh. Dude was handsome. Bottom of his foot to the top of his head. Stunning. When he cut the hair of his head, so he cut his hair once a year, it weighed 200 shekels. That's between two and three pounds. So he had two to three pounds of hair when he cut his hair every year, once a year. Just these big old flowing locks, right? Um, and he's probably really tall. He's strong because we know he's a fighter and he has fought people, all that business. So he's, he's got charisma. He's got looks going for him, okay? Then they mentioned his kids. There were born to Absalom three sons and one daughter whose name was Tamar, and she was a beautiful woman. Do you remember what Absalom's sister's name was? Tamar. The terrible thing that happened to Tamar because of Amnon, their half-brother, which set Absalom on the spree of being a murderer and a killer and starting to solve problems his own way with violence. He named his daughter after his sister. It's also a big deal. It named, says he has three sons and none of them are named. None of them are named because you're not going to hear about them. If they were given names that you'd hear about them again, then, right, they would say, and so-and-so, so that you'd remember that name and keep up with it later, see where it shows up. So you've already got a little bit of a, oh, kind of see where this is going to go. So Absalom lives for two years in Jerusalem. He's not allowed to talk to the king, but he wants to talk to the king. He's like, I want to talk to my father, the king. Do you think he wanted to talk to his father, the king, because he missed his dad? Because he wanted to go play ball in the backyard? No. <laughs> There's a couple things that will show us why. So he sends to Joab. Okay, I can't go talk to the king, but I can talk to Joab. Hey, Joab. Hey, Joab. Hey, Joab. Joab does not answer him. And so Absalom's like, well... My field is right next to Joab's field. I know how to get Joab's attention. This is verse 30. He says to his servants, Hey, Joab's field is right next to mine. He has barley. Go set it all on fire. <laughs> so Absalom's men go out. They set Joab's barley field on fire. This is his livelihood, right? This is like if you owned a pizza shop and they burned down your pizza shop. Now you don't have your income. 
says barley field on fire. Joab shows up, goes to Absalom, goes to his house. What are you doing? Why have you set my field on fire? Absalom said, hey, I told you to come so I could talk to you and you never came. But here, now that I got your attention, here's what I want you to say. <laughs> they cover that really fast. Why have I come all the way from Jeshur? It would be better for me to still be at grandma's house. I can't even see you. Therefore, let me come into your presence. And if there's guilt on me, kill me. Put me to death. Then Joab went to the king and told him. So Absalom is like, look, it doesn't do me any good to live here if I can't talk to the king. I'm going to tell you, that's not what he wanted. He wanted to be in charge somewhere. He wanted to rule something. He wanted to do something. And he has no power if he can't talk to the king. And so he's like, I might as well be a Jeshur in parentheses where I can start to have some power, where I can do something. Otherwise, I'm just sitting around here in Jerusalem and somebody else is ruling over me. So he comes into the king. The king says, yes. He bows himself face to the ground before the king and the king kisses him and they're reunited. This was super short. That's all you get. That's all the description they give. And then it's on to the next chapter. We don't know that they were really reconciled. We don't know if they were reconciled in appearance only. We don't know if they were reconciled just as an official. You know, you don't have to be afraid to come to the king's court anymore. You can still come if you want to. I won't strike you dead. But you're not exactly invited. That kind of thing. I was in a Bible study with some guys. We were talking about Genesis. And this guy said, gosh, this is the most dysfunctional family ever. <laughs> talking about Jacob and all of his wives and all their kids. And the kids throw jo Joseph in a pit. And again, is the Bible relevant today? Yes, it is. Can God totally work and bless and accomplish his will in an absolutely messed up dysfunctional family? Absolutely, yes, and he is. He is right now. So Absalom is back, sort of. Everybody knows that the king now approves of Absalom, so the whisperers and the gossips aren't going to talk bad about him so much. And he's going to be able to be visible. Oh, is he going to be visible? Look what he does. After this, after this chapter 15, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run in front of him. So do you remember when um, during different presidential campaigns, different presidents come to town and first there's all these cars and then there's like police cars and then like there's all kinds of hullabaloo and all this business. And then finally the person shows up and comes. We, uh, when we lived in Central Asia, it was always this funny thing. You would hear the siren. It was the capital of the country, right? So you'd hear the sirens, and then you would look, and all the buses would pull over on the main street. And then this police car would come up, woo, woo, you know, blowing its siren. And there was a guy on a loudspeaker saying, uh, I think you, if you've been to Los Bravos, you've heard him. Because he goes, oh, no, it's so 
No, even local people didn't know what he was saying. You couldn't understand what this guy was saying. And everybody cleared off the street and you didn't know who was coming, but you knew they are super important, right? And then all of a sudden, all the armored vehicles go flying by and the bulletproof limousines and all that. Zoom, 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 zoom. And you're like, whoa, somebody really important just came. So Absalom makes this for himself. He gets 50 men, probably army guys, right? Big. They're not, they're not wimps. 50 men, and they're going to run in front of him. Make way, make way. Here comes Absalom, son of the king. And then Absalom's on a chariot. A chariot is a war machine. You don't like go cruising on Green River Road or First Avenue on your chariot. It's, it's for fighting. So Absalom's in his chariot. 50 men in front of him. Make way, make way. Oh, I don't know who's coming, but he's got to be important. He's got 50 men. He's got a chariot. And look at that hair. Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gate, the gate that would entrance to Jerusalem to come up and talk to the king. Uh oh, when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him. So people would have dispute. This used to be it used to be like this for the White House before Abraham Lincoln was assassinated. The White House was just a house. I mean, it was the White House. But if people had a dispute, they could walk up and go in and talk to the president, which is kind of mind-boggling. People had a dispute, they would walk in and talk to the king. I seek the, the word from the king. I have this problem I need solved. Make this judgment for me. Just like the, the little old lady did that was really in disguise and sent by Joab, just like she went. And ask the king this thing. So people would come. And Absalom would say, hey, hey, uh, where are you from? And they'd say, oh, I'm from this tribe or that tribe. And Absalom would say to him, oh, man, you're right. Like, that dude did you wrong. Your, your whole claim that you have is right. It's a shame the king has not appointed somebody from your tribe to listen to your cause and make judgment for you. That's, that's a bummer. Hmm, is that true, by the way? What's tricky is, it is true. The king didn't have a person assigned from every tribe to hear their claims because you could go to the king directly. He didn't have to assign people. Absalom didn't say that part. Instead, he bent the truth just a little bit. And he said... Oh, if only I were a judge in the land, then every man with a dispute or a cause could come to me and I would give them justice. So people are coming to meet with the king before they get to the king. Absalom says, hey, where are you from? What's your problem? They say, oh, I'm from Newburgh. This dude backed into my car and he doesn't have insurance and he won't pay for it. Oh, man, if, if only we had somebody from Newburgh to hear your claims. But the king doesn't have anybody. If I were king, I'd make sure somebody was ruling Newburgh and would hear your claim and they'd fix your car. They didn't give it a new paint job. The one thing he's not saying is, don't you wish I were king? 
But he doesn't have to, does he? Whenever a man would come, then people would come pay homage to Absalom. People started to hear, you know that dude with the 50 army guys in front of him in the big old chariot? You go talk to him. He'll take care of you. Has Absalom taken care of anybody? No. He has totally daydreamed everybody. Oh man, if only I were king, if I were a judge, he never says if I were king, if I were a judge in the land, then I would do X, Y, and Z. And the people leave like, oh man, that would be great if that was the way. They're getting nothing, right? They're getting all total emptiness, but they're getting their confidence and their daydreams in Absalom. So word spreads, and now people just start coming to Absalom. They aren't going to the king anymore. They go straight to him, and he would take their hand, put out his hand and take hold of them and kiss their hand. He's got some, some dignitary officialness to him. Ho, ho, ho. Uh, every once in a while, I would have guys when I worked at the rescue mission, and they would call me Danny. Well, now, Danny? And it was funny because other people would recognize or they'd say, well, son, and that line, kind of language, what does that do? That puts them in authority over me, even though I'm the boss. And the other guys would just laugh at them, sometimes behind their back, sometimes in person. Absalom is greeting these people here. They're there. It'll be all right. All of a sudden, he's comforting them. He's kissing their hand. Everybody wants the king to kiss their hand. Or to at least just kiss the hand of the king. So all of a sudden he's doing this, this little game of putting himself in power over everybody. So what else does this remind you of? There were people that could go straight to the king and communicate with him. And somebody else got in the way. And they said, you know, the king, did he really say that? Did he really say that you can't touch this tree? Did he really say that if you eat this apple, you'll die? Absalom's game is the devil's game. Takes this thing that's a truth and bends it just a little bitty bit. Oh, you're not happy? Do you know what, what, what would make you happy? You know, Happiness comes from the inside. So that kind of sounds like the Holy Spirit. And so you just need to, and then there's this little sin, this little going away from God, doing things your own way, doing things a way that's not the way God wants you to do it. And it started out sounding like truth, but it's not. Oh, it's a shame the king doesn't have anybody appointed to listen to you. No, because the king himself will listen to you. Right? Right? The lie we hear is, man, I'm, I'm so alone. And God is standing there like, you can tell me anything. I want to be with you. I want my presence with you to increase by so many ways. This is all happens. At, uh, the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans 1. That desiring. Well, I'm just going to have to flip it. Because I can read it faster than I can paraphrase it. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Romans 1. Did 
talks about the exact same thing. Um, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What was Absalom doing? He was suppressing the truth that King David, God's anointed king, is 50 feet up those stairs and wants to listen to you. But right here's Absalom, and he's handsome, and he's got 50 army men and a sweet chariot, and he's talking to you right now. So why bother? They suppressed the truth. What can be known about God was plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, that's the thing. This king that's 50 feet up the stairs we can't see him, but what we can see is handsome Absalom. And so sometimes we don't press on to the thing that we can't see, and we settle for the thing that we can. Romans one twenty one. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We can give up this invisible, awesome glory of God that takes a little bit to get to and exchange it for a hubcap. Exchange it for something curvy, something fast, something sporty. We can exchange it for notoriety or respect or attention. And that's not what God wants us to do. How different it would have been if the very next person, when Absalom said, well, the king doesn't have anybody appointed for you. If somebody said, hold on, come, come here. <laughs> hey, king, king David, there's this guy sitting out on the porch that says you don't have anybody appointed to listen to me. You think David would deal with that guy? David would deal with Absalom at that moment, right? Send you back to grandma's. That's how we beat the devil. When the temptation comes of something that's really beautiful, of something that's really easy, of something, you know, it's a whole lot easier for me to be grumpy than to deal with my selfishness. So I can just be grumpy and get what I want, or I can be like, you know what, I, maybe I need to not be selfish. And look to other people's needs. Work through that. You take that liar and you take him up the stairs to the king. Because he has to obey the king. And the king rules. And even though this liar on the steps is trying to steal the king's authority, what, Ab what authority does Absalom actually have? Zilch. He has nothing, you guys. Absalom has no authority to solve it. Did you notice he doesn't solve any problems? He says, if only I were judged, then I would blah, blah, blah. Why does he say that? Because he can't do anything. Just like the devil. Completely powerless. All he can do is trick us in our daydreams to act on our daydreams instead of the truth that's 50 feet up the steps in this case. So, we're going to stop with this cliffhanger of this image of the devil gaining power in Israel. It's the same way he gains power in our hearts by getting us to daydream about something that isn't even real. And the better thing 
is just right where the king is. And the king, you know what King David is doing all this time? Thinking, gosh, people used to come visit me. I wonder why nobody's coming. I haven't had a single old lady ask me about a dead cow in like four weeks. I haven't seen a single widow for months. So let's pray. Lord, we do not want to give up your kingdom. We do not want to be whisked away by daydreams and lies. And so please, Lord, give us wisdom and discernment to see around it. Give us the passion and the desire not to be satisfied with some uh, know-it-all calls himself judge sitting at the steps, but we want to come all the way into your inner court where you welcome us and where you greet us and where you actually really act. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we praise you. Amen.